Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 55 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 8 as we continue along in our Stargate History Series. We've also got a little bit of Stargate news and site features to talk about. And we'll play for you the trailer for the new Stargate SG-1 audio drama, Pathogen, starring Terrell Rothery. David, how you been, buddy? I'm better. You're feeling better. Man, you I was so sick. sick as a dog last week. I was so disappointed at the end result of, of that podcast. I mean, Tammy brought her A-game. I brought what I could muster, but, I mean, in recording and editing, I was so miserable. I think you did a good job. I'm, I'm amazed that you didn't make yourself worse. I might have, As long actually. as it took. I had, like, 104 fever for days on end, and my parents were like, you need to go to the hospital or you're going to cause permanent brain damage. And I'm like, no, no, no. IQ points may have gone down a couple. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll, uh... Exactly. So, I was driving across the country last week with a 16-foot Penske truck towing a car. I've done that. We went through one way station and uh, got ourselves weighed at over six tons. Holy schmuck. Yep, driving that from New Jersey to Oregon State. I got to listen to last week's podcast as a fan. I had almost nothing to do with it other than typing up the show notes for the website. But uh, that was fun. I know you were sick, but you did a good job, and Tammy was awesome. And I thought I wrote was... a hell of a speech for President Tammy, yeah, frankly. Yeah, that was fun to listen to. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for August 12, 2009. The lovely young Miss Jodell Furland has been cast in the third Twilight film called Eclipse, along with several other Stargate stars. You may recognize uh, the likes of Christopher Heyerdahl, Michael Welsh, and Cameron Bright. Jodell is suspected to be playing the role of Bree. Don't know Twilight, don't know who that is. Um, but this is a I mean, pretty big league film series for them. So this is, uh, this is uh, a treat to, to know that she's in it. It's great. From, for those who don't know Jodell's name, she was, uh, has a... I don't know how old that girl is now. She must be 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. She was uh, in Stargate SG-1 Season 10 premiere Flesh and Blood as one of the young Adrias. The second Adria, after Rob Cooper's daughter, Emma. And then she came back for Atlantis in season four and was the princess, Harmony. The titular character, I believe the phrase is. The titular is that right? character, yep. That sounds so awful to say that. And we're currently working on a story on the release of Stargate Atlantis and Stargate SG-1 on Blu-ray. This story came out last month where MGM released the press release for the Stargate Atlantis fans' choice which is now available on Blu-ray disc. This uh, Fans' Choice has Rising and Enemy at the Gate, the first and the last episodes of the show. Uh, the only Atlantis you can see right now on Blu-ray high definition. And the press release said that this was the only Atlantis Blu-ray release that was planned. So we sort of scratched our heads about that and uh, wondered why they're not planning on doing full seasons. Uh, and so we asked MGM and Fox Home Entertainment about this and uh, got a bit of an answer. Again, the story is still in progress, but uh, the word so far seems to be that they are indeed using the fans' choice as, as a way of sort of testing the market. And if it goes really well, and if they think there is a demand, there's no reason why there can't be future 
Atlantis and SG-1 releases. They're just not currently in the works. So if that story is not up yet when the podcast goes live, look for it very soon on the site. Director Felix Alcala is making his way to Stargate Universe. You may recognize him from directing shows like Dollhouse, Burn Notice, Criminal Minds, Sarah Connor Chronicles, and Battlestar Galactica. He did Razor, Exodus 1 and 2. Uh, the guy has a lot of credits to his name. He's a pretty heavyweight director. Yeah, this is cool. Uh, all props to our regular Stargate directors. But uh, I really like the fact that they're bringing in some, some new guys and some guys who have done work on some, some pretty big prominent shows. It bodes my confidence that, yes, they are keeping the greats like Andy Makita. Yep, bringing back Peter DeLuise. Will Waring, Peter DeLuise. But it bodes my confidence that they are reaching out there and grabbing these amazing directors. This is a good mix. Yep. For Stargate Universe, he will be directing the episode Divided, which I believe is 111. Is that correct? Uh, it's 112, actually. It's 112. the second half of the two-parter, but they've shifted the two-parter. So instead of 10 and 11, it's now 11 and 12. Ooh, interesting. Gateworld Features. Big Finish Productions has passed along a audio trailer for you to listen to right here on the Gateworld podcast for Pathogen. This is the brand new Stargate SG-1 audio drama that's now available online at BigFinish.com. It stars Terrell Rothery as Dr. Janet Frazier and Christopher Judge as Teal'c. Let's listen. God. What? What? Where am I? My chest. I'm trapped under something. Dr. Frazier. Teal'c, are you there? Where are you? I am here. Teal'c, where... Where are we? We are still within the cave system of PX-2639. The cave system of... Mm. Tilk? We are in need of immediate medical assistance, Dr. Fraser. SG-1 are too sick to move from their current position. Okay, Tilk, tell me what happened. Daniel Jackson opened an artifact. A box. It was a trap. It was filled with white powder. And Daniel inhaled this powder? As did we all, Dr. Fraser. And that's when I saw them. The pathogen samples. They must have been in a vial holder on the bench and falling during the cave-in. Four were intact, but one was smashed completely, and there was powder everywhere. And on top of the head and chest injuries, I was more than likely infected by the pathogen, too. And somehow, I had to figure out how to culture a batch of penicillin in record time and in a field hospital with severely limited resources. But even if I managed it, that might not be the solution at all. Here. Can you feel the airflow? It's getting stronger. I can. You are correct. I think if we can just move these stones here. Dr. Fraser. Get out of the gurney. You must join me. No, the equipment. I have to save the equipment. You must no. leave it. I didn't tell them how hopeless the situation was. Even if I had the equipment, I didn't have the time. SG-1 would survive two cave-ins only to die a horrible death. They would all be in respiratory failure within a matter of hours. And there wasn't a damn thing I could do. Once again, that's Pathogen from Big Finish Productions. Head over to BigFinish.com right now if you want to buy it on CD for $16.81 plus shipping. Or you can download it for $8.99. The next story from Big Finish, which we hope to get some audio for you to listen to pretty soon, is... The August release is called The Kindness of Strangers, and this one is Paul McGillian. 
This is a Dr. Beckett story. Gate World Gallery updates have been on a bit of a hold as I have uh, basically been dying over the past couple of weeks and we've had some uh, back-end complications which have now been corrected. He lives. Cross your fingers. So, uh, season five of Stargate Atlantis DVD screen captures for all 20 episodes are now up and installed. And these props must go to Admiral QO, DJ Girl, Chris, and Rosehawk in GateWorld Forum. These four came together and uh, split the season amongst themselves. And now, because of their efforts, we have thousands of screenshots from Atlantis Season 5. Atlantis the series is done. Every aired episode of anything Stargate. Anything Stargate, including the movies, is all in the GateWorld gallery. We've just passed a quarter of a million files in the gallery. A quarter of a million pictures in that gallery in just a little bit more than a year of it being open. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. It's all these volunteers who have done the work for us. The gallery has been viewed more than 11 million times so far in the last year. That's incredible. So, check it out. It's uh, StargateGallery.com and has its very own domain name. I also just uploaded six new Stargate Universe cast photos in the gallery. The main discussion. So, all year long we've been talking about Stargate history, starting with the movie, then SG-1, and now we're up to Season 8 of Stargate SG-1. Obviously, if you've been watching the show for any amount of time, this is pivotal. This is a huge turning point in the series, so much that a lot of people consider what comes after this, seasons 9 and 10, to be a A different show. show. Yeah. So we're going to review it in this episode, and if you'd like to follow along, visit gateworld.net slash sg1 slash s8. Should we start with uh, your favorite episode, or should we do an an overall impressions first? Overall impressions are always last. You know that. What's your favorite episode from season eight? This is a little tougher for me. I watched it today. It was Threads. I, I love this show. The forty-four I... minute version or the sixty? Oh, the the hour and four minute version, obviously. Oma Desala returns, and we discover why she's been so naughty. You love Oma Desala. I love Oma Desala. Love Mel, Mel, Harris. Mel Harris. I love Mel Harris. The Jaffa finally win their freedom for the most part, to the largest degree. There's a lot of raising. Staff weapons to the sky and going, Freedom! That's definitely my favorite episode of season eight. Rob Cooper just went balls to the walls with this one and gave us everything that uh, that we've been we've been waiting to see. Uh, Anubis is dealt with; he can't be killed, so he is occupied for the rest of time. I like that that fact that ascended beings are basically so powerful, even Anubis as as a sort of a half-ascended being. They tried, the ancients tried to descend him and couldn't quite do it. So mm-hmm. even as a even as a half-ascended being, these guys are, are basically superpowers that are, they're titans that are, are equal in power. So they, they can only neutralize one another. Win. The only way that, that she can take out Anubis is to give up her own life for all eternity. Atri says, best episode, Threads, hands down. I loved the whole Daniel Oma thing and the deeper insight into Ascended Society. And I also loved how they resolved the Shanahan-Carter relationship. 
The episode was packed full with emotions. But the reason I absolutely loved the episode was definitely the fishing scene. If you're a longtime Stargate fan, the symbolism of it just blows you away. It was the perfect ending to a very good series. I love the fishing scene. A lot of people mention that as, as really when SG-1 came to an end. SG-1 as it was, Jack O'Neill, Daniel Jackson, Sam Carter, Teal'c. That era ended with that fishing scene at Jack's cabin. You know, it's Monday morning quarterbacking, but I swear to God, for years, I always assumed that SG-1 would end with a crane shot pulling back on the four team members fishing. <laughs> I always just assumed that it would end that way. Mm. And in so, so many ways, I was right. I yeah. love that. Yeah, and I love how they did it again at the end of Mobius. In Mobius. Well, we should talk about Threads along with Reckoning. This is a trilogy, and Reckoning Part 2 is my favorite episode of Season 8. Really? Yeah, Reckoning 1 and 2 is the huge... It's resolution. It's payoff. Resolution of the entire series, yeah. So this is this is the downfall of Gould and the Replicators, our two big enemies, over the course of eight years of the show. Uh, even though they come back in one form or another, you know, we still have system lords like Ball kicking around, causing trouble... Uh, replicators are going to show up again in the Pegasus Galaxy. But for the SG-1 story, these stories are, are coming to a close. And then Threads is largely Threads is largely denouement for that story. These three episodes were just a powerhouse of great acting, visual effects. I mean, right from, from you all the way to the gloop of the, uh, the fishing line. So <laughs> The teaser for Reckoning Part 1 is fantastic. When mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Sam Carter is brought on board Yu's ship, is it a ship or a station? She gets brought in and forced to kneel before Yu, and he says, "What are you doing here?" You know, he's kind of semi-friendly with with Earth, and she stabs him right through the gut, and you realize that it's Replica Carter. There's there's a whole lot here. There's there's tons of heart. This is the death of Jacob Carter, one of my all-time yeah. favorite supporting players. In the Stargate universe. Yeah. What did you think of the decision to kill this guy off? Again, it's like the show's coming to an end. I, I wish that they didn't, but, you know, I can understand why they did. I think, uh, I think it makes for a great, a great episode. It did a lot for, the, for that episode. But in the long run, I miss him. I, I still yeah. miss him. I still yeah. miss Carmen. Every time I see Carmen at a convention, I just want to go up and hug him because I miss, <laughs> I miss the character of Carter, Jacob Carter so much. Well, you know, his character was introduced in uh, Secrets and Tokra 1 and 2 back in Season 2 when I was first getting into SG-1. I mean, this guy was this guy was part of, of the family. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it makes for a great, great story and an emotional end to that character. But, uh, man, I love, I love the guy. Memnark says, My favorite episode of Season 8 is Reckoning, specifically Part 2. With the exception of Lost City, no other episode in the series feels more like a culminating moment for the characters or the story. Despite the fact that SG-1 is separated from one another, there is the sense that they're all fighting towards a common goal. As far as I'm concerned, this episode was the climactic moment of the original SG-1 team, with Threads and Mobius clearly being the denouement. After this season, SG-1 is never the same again. By and large, Reckoning 1 and 2, Threads... It doesn't get better than that. Tremendously satisfying. Tremendously satisfying. You, I mean, it's it's crazy to see that the show goes on after the downfall of the Gould. I mean, it's like, I don't know what it's like. It's like Star Wars after the fall of the Empire. 
you know the universe goes on, but it's just not the same. It's never going to be the same. I love the 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 Sam Jacob stuff with the the ancient puzzle on the wall and the way that they figure out how to access the the ancient device. The fact that they have to work with Ball to get their problem solved. Um, the Replicator sort of tormenting Daniel, trying to get inside his head, and then Daniel fighting back. That's cool they had stuff. brilliant exchanges. Yeah. So back to the beginning. We mentioned we tapped on Replicator briefly. Um, yep, she's a story arc for this season. Huge story arc. You know, I I could have seen her easily one or two more times than than we did. That was an interesting character. Back to the Asgard galaxy and deal with their Replicator problem again. Obviously, when we put the cork in the Replicator bottle in unnatural selection a couple years ago, we knew... There was going to be a reckoning. The Asgard are going to have to deal with that. That that problem is going to come back. The replicators have not been dealt with. They've just been time-delayed. So I love New Order. I love uh, everything about it, just about. We've, we've got uh, Sam and Teal going out in the cargo ship to try and find the Asgard to save Jack. Jack's been, been frozen in the ice in uh, Antarctica in the, the ancient... Wedgema, who's it? Stasis unit. Stasis unit. Thank you. They find Thor. They get wrapped up in another replicator problem. The the Asgard think they've got it all figured out, and the replicators get the best of them again, and now they're on the brink of extinction. Um, Fifth comes back, and we get the whole reckoning with Sam and Fifth. And, and yeah, his hair has grown much, much curlier. And Elizabeth Weir. Darkened her hair? She's darkened her hair. That really rattled me, that, that change in, in uh, terms of casting. Uh, obviously, I knew about that going into the season. It was a hard adjustment to make. I was a big fan of Jessica Steen. It took a while to adjust to the new Weir, and I eventually did. Um, you, of course, went into watching this episode having already met the new Elizabeth Weir. This was my first set visit. They were shooting uh, the third episode of Atlantis, and they were sh- they were also shooting New Order Part 2. Uh, and so Avatar. I s- so I saw, not knowing anything about the replicators coming back, I saw Patrick Curry, fifth, on set, on the lot, in his replicator costume, and went, <gasps> sweet. You had fan moment. Yeah. New Order is very successful for establishing a lot of stuff. O'Neill is, is promoted to general, Brigadier General. Um, the System replicators... are back in the, in the SGC. Yes. It has that, that fair game feel from season three. Some great exchanges there. The replicators become a threat again. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good opening. So with O'Neill's promotion, we've really got to deal with the, the elephant in the room, the Richard Dean Anderson question. We've been talking about for a couple of, of seasons now. Season six, Rick decided to reduce his time on the show, spend more time with his daughter in California. Uh, and season seven, he reduced back a little bit more. Season 8, the decision was made, we, we want to keep him around for another year, but we have him for even less time. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to continually write around him as the head of SG-1, let's make Sam the head of SG-1, and it's a three-person team, and Jack is promoted to be the commander of the base. Do you think that worked, the three-person SG-1, for the couple of episodes that we had at, like, Icon? I'm not sure how to answer that question, to be honest. Because we didn't really see it all that much. I mean, we saw it in Icon, and uh, I don't, I'm don't. i trying to remember. Uh, maybe at the beginning of Sacrifices? I haven't seen some of these episodes in so long. You don't see it a whole lot except in, in episodes like Icon. There's not really a traditional SG-1 goes through the gate, has an adventure on a planet, and then leaves at the end. 
Yeah, there was next to none of that in in season eight, except when Jack was involved. Then they did it in like Mobius, and it's good to be king. But be mostly, king. they seem to stay away from it. This was really the year of Stargate Command. Yeah, so I don't want to say that the three person team didn't work because I think we didn't see it enough. I would have actually liked to see it a little bit more to see if it could have worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, if if Jack is the new Hammond, and and at this point Don Davis had, had departed the show as a series regular. Maybe bring in a new character. Maybe bring back Jonas so that we still have a four-person team. Yeah. Be willing to tell those O'Neillist stories. Once again, this is this was a season where I was very aware that that Richard Dean Anderson's time was extremely constricted. So every moment that he's on the screen, I'm thinking to yeah. myself, how long before yeah, the clock we're going to lose him again? Like you said, for every episode, you're waiting for that mechanism to either to either give him more screen time or take him away for less screen time. So... Yeah, he's either going to get hurt or he's going to go on vacation or some plot device is going to come up. I actually like Season 8 better than Season 7 in this respect. You too. Because at least there was an explanation that was there the entire time. You know, we didn't see General Hammond in every episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So him being the the commander of the base made a lot more sense than, than just sort of... This week I got injured. This week I'm on vacation. I like season eight better as well, but more in terms of the bag of stories that they chose to tell. I just I just thought that this year was more refined. I was surprised in lockdown to see Anubis come back. This was the huge climax at the end of season seven in Lost City was when we blew him up. And suddenly we discover that he's survived as a disembodied spirit. Yeah, we just blew up his shield. As ascended beings will tend to do. And uh, it made for a really interesting story, but I was surprised that they brought him back so quickly. Yeah. We were introduced to uh, Dr. Brightman, played by Allison Down. Dr. Bright's character seemed to be obviously the first stab at replacing Jana Frazier, and I don't think it went well at all. Mm. No. I like the actress, but the the role, I mean, the, the character just wasn't... She was really a McKay. You know, she's there to get the story along, and then, thank you, goodbye, we'll, we may see you later on this year. Uh, there wasn't really a great. It didn't feel like well in lockdown. I mean that story, that particular story, wasn't very good for for expounding on who this character is and why she's here and why she was picked and yada yada. She's just there to explain, you know, what's going on. Zero hour. Ball wants Camulus and he's willing to trade SG one to do it. Except he doesn't have SG one. They are somehow trapped in an underground bunker for days and days and protected from Ball, who doesn't know where they are, even though he had Nowcash flyover. Okay. <laughs> this is a Jack O'Neill episode, which is nice to start a, a season of not as much Jack with a big Jack episode. He, he is in this huge, you know, there's there's a funny, it's a plant f- plot thread going on. The plant is taking over SGC. This is really a day in the life or several days in the life of, of base commander Yeah. for Stargate Command. It's a very different episode in that respect. It's almost like a an alternate perspective slash lower decks episode, except it... It stars the lead of the show because he's just got this new job. Mm-hmm. Let's get into some listener mail. Farrick says, Season 8 for me was an interesting mixture of ups and downs. From the very strong start with episodes like New Order Parts 1 and 2 and Lockdown to the disappointing Mobius, I felt that Season 8 only decreased in quality with time. Perhaps the best facet of Season 8 was the fact that for the first time we got to enjoy two hours of Stargate each week with SG-1 and Atlantis. By itself, Season 8 may have been weak, 
But when one realizes that the writers were producing twice the normal number of scripts, one can't help but appreciate the quality we saw. So how about Icon? Nuclear holocaust on another planet because the Stargate is revealed and you've got these extremists who... You know, are seeing this as a reason to go back to their old belief system, and and, and uh, you know, De- uh, Michael Shanks did a good job, but I just wasn't into the story. Uh, I really didn't care about these people, the Tagallans, as uh, they were later named in season nine. Uh, strong acting, but you know, I just I didn't I wasn't energized with this story. Yeah, there are a couple others that vie for the title, but I think for me, Icon is is my least favorite of season eight. It uh, it started with this premise of being English patient Daniel, where Daniel wakes up uh, on this alien planet being cared for by this woman after he's been injured. Uh, that's that's a, a nice, interesting starting place, but the rest of how it unfolded with the civilization and SG-1's role in and what had happened to, to the destabilization of their government, I did not find it interesting or compelling at all. Mm-hmm. I like the idea. I like what they were trying to, to do, but uh, in terms of the execution, I just didn't care for the episode. Mm-hmm. So, but you Avatar, sh- you... Yeah, t- you turn around and Avatar is an awesome episode. I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago, and it is entertaining. I, it's got to hold the fun. record for the number of staff blasts. It's fun. <laughs> Tilk, uh, there's a, there's an invasion of Stargate Command. There's a, a coal warrior who comes through the gate and shoots everybody up and kills everybody, and it's including Jack. The end of the show. No, it's not the end of the show. It's actually a virtual reality simulation that uh, Tilk and the members of of the team are playing. And Tilk gets stuck in this thing because of his his uh, his values and and warrior ideals. He's Refuses to lose, and he's basically playing a no-win scenario over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it keeps on moving the finish line. He can't, he can't seem to get out of it. Uh, and Daniel eventually has to come in and help him. Uh, great idea. You know, they they use footage from uh, Perception's uh, development team for creating SG One: The Alliance at the time. Integrated it very well. I, I enjoyed the uh, the concept of the the VR chairs from the Gamekeeper. Mm-hmm. And uh, some some great uh, guest acting as well. This is this is a perfect episode in terms of going back and mining the long long history of Stargate mm-hmm. for something that that gen- then springboards a new story idea. And and we had seen those gamekeeper chairs in Area Fifty One. Yes. Uh, after that season two episode, we knew that that, that Earth we had, had confiscated them. some. Yeah, so the fact that we were able to use it for this purpose, I think, was was a stroke of, of brilliance. And then you've got a nice... That brings in the, the nice sci-fi angle of, of playing a virtual reality game and uh, some great, great character stuff, especially for Teal'c. When Teal'c. It's a great Teal'c episode. When Teal'c gives up and sits down in the middle of the hallway and watches his friends die, I mean, that's that's some of my favorite Teal'c stuff in the entire series. Mm-hmm. Gives us a really good insight into his personality. Affinity really tried to do that as well, but something was just lacking for me about that one. You know, you you get great guest acting by Erica Durant. Hated her hair. Hated her hair. <laughs> you know, I did so not care for her character at all, and you know? she she had not shown up on Smallville yet. I did not like her guest appearance uh, at all. Her character, and then she turned up on Smallville as Lois Lane, and she's she's terrific. She's so striking. But I will say Affinity has one of the greatest Stargate opening teasers ever. Uh, it has a great opening sequence. I adore the 
cop Tilk, you know, him him interfering with a with a, a what was it, a fender bender, I guess. So uh, I, I enjoy that. But, you know, in terms of the rest of the episode, you know, the trust is after him and th- there's this whole Pete Shanahan thing. And, you know, Pete asks Sam to marry him in this one. And they say yes at a very uh, she says yes at a very awkward time. Oh, yeah. Um, That's something that Amanda Tapping has voiced a disagreement with the decision to have her basically at the end of the episode really kiss Pete. I mean, maybe to the degree of making out in at, in the middle of this stakeout. On a crime scene. It's something that Sam would certainly not do. It's totally unprofessional, and, and the, the powers that be said, ah, it's, it's, we're going for the feel-good ending, let's just do it. And I agree with Amanda, it's totally out of place, and it, it just rubs me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But most of this episode rubs me the wrong way. The, the, uh, the initial kernel of the idea of Teal getting an apartment off the base and having more interaction with uh, with the world of, of Earth and and culture of, of the US is is a really interesting place to start but but I don't think it sustains an hour long episode. Mm-mm. No. Not when I mean Doug and Krista, you know, the characters Doug. that you don't particularly care about. But then you get Covenant, the great Charles Shaughnessy, you know. Uh, <clears throat> what a what a fantastic guest actor. You and I saw this up. Ep- you saw this episode for the first time with me. I saw it for the second time with you uh, at uh, Creation Chicago. What two thousand four? Yeah, that sounds right. That was the s- that was the second day that we had met. I believe. <laughs> I believe we met the day before face to face. Face to face. Yeah. And uh, enjoyed this. I-, I enjoyed watching this episode with a few hundred other fans. Uh, the- the uh, it's just a really interesting show, you know. They reveal the Asgard to the population when the Asgard steps through the door. It's like holy smokes! Yeah, the cat's out of the bag. There's no way they're going to be able to cover this up. But they find a really way. convenient way, a, a really clever way of of kind of explaining it. Thor pretending to be a virtual projection. I like this one. Charles Shaughnessy does a, a nice job as Alec Coulson, and this one is all about the guest star and the guest character. This is this is kind of Coulson's journey. I mean, it's, it's got Sam and SG One in it, in that they're they're introducing him to to the the world of of the Stargate and things that his company does that that they don't necessarily know that they're helping to work on. Um, this the story is about his character's journey, and and he believes based on the values that he's he's gotten from his father the way that he's brought up that the public has a right to know these things mm-hmm. and so Sam has to convince him that it's worth keeping the secret uh, really really interesting stuff again c- me coming from a journalism background and the and the freedom of information stuff this this resonates well with me yeah yeah I agree we were asked a couple of weeks ago why we don't like earth-based episodes and these two, Affinity and Covenant, I think, uh, show really well what what I was trying to get at. Affinity, I don't like as an Earth-based episode because there's there's not a whole lot there. It's it's our characters out of context. So instead of going through the gate on an adventure, they're on Earth, and they get caught up in something. Here, Teal'c is caught up in a in a murder investigation. Mm-hmm. I don't think it sustains it. Covenant is deeply ingrained in the mythology of the show. You get the the Asgard. Uh, the Asgard have been cloned 
uh, Colson Industries gets gets their hands on on a clone and uh, when the, without an Asgard mind basically downloaded into it. So these two back to back are Earth based episodes, and I think Covenant is much much better than Affinity. How about sacrifices? You know, I'm not big on uh, Jaffa episodes. Uh, didn't you say it's like the Klingons? You either, you either love the Klingon episodes or you hate them. Yep. Um, I love Jolene Blaylock. Do not get me wrong. Ryak and Corinne's wedding and Tilk. I don't agree. <laughs> Meh. Meh. I think it's sweet. It's fine. I mean, uh, uh, Tony has a great line. I can see yeah. why these things must be rehearsed. Yeah, Braytac presiding over the ceremony. That that definitely gives some fun stuff to it. The wife will now bow to her husband. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. That was... Oh. There's a lot going on here with, with Ishta and the Hakteel, the, the female warrior tribe. Uh, they want to kill Malak, and they want SG-1's help. This guy has been oppressing them and murdering babies for generations, and they want SG-1's help to take him out. Mm-hmm. Which seems like a great idea, but SG-1 becomes convinced that this this small act is is ultimately going to do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. So, but the Hocktail can't see that far ahead. It adds a nice a nice little conundrum. Do you allow an immediate evil? If you see a, a bigger picture that uh, you're you're attempting to prevent a greater bad, do you yep. allow the lesser evil? This one written by Chris Judge uh, brought in his brother Jeff to play Aaron, who we suspect for some time to be an agent of Malak, and then eventually at the very end he's like, "Do you believe me now?" Right, right. <laughs> he rescues them. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff from from Chris, and more good stuff for Teal's character development, where. Uh, the, the scene that's standing out to me is is when Ishta says that uh, something like, I will not rest until Malak is dead. And Teal'c responds, I will not rest until all Gwagul are dead. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. That's mm-hmm. the difference in, in Teal'c playing the long game. Mm-hmm. Trying to see the big picture. Yeah, he's in it to win the war, not just the battle. Yeah. End game. Yes, the Stargate gets stolen. The Stargate gets stolen. Unfortunately for me, as a viewer, it just goes kind of downhill from there. Uh, there's a lot of investigating, trying to figure out how this thing works. Well, you know, how did they get the Stargate stolen? Well, someone came in and attached a beacon to it, and then some had, someone had Asgard transporters, and they beamed it up to an Alkesh, and the Trust were are using Gould poison on 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 beautiful undercover Toker princesses out there in the galaxy. Again, an interesting show that uh, had a really interesting idea that I think was muddily executed. You know, I was expecting a. I was expecting a two mid-season two-parter like we had been getting for uh, for season six and seven, at the very least, most recently, and we just kind of get this. They didn't do it. No, they saved the two-parter for reckoning. Yeah, that surprised me too. Again, it's. I think we said this about about a lot of season seven episodes. There's a nice idea that serves as the germ of the story, and then it, it's not quite executed as as cool as you think the idea ought to to justify. I liked the Rogan idea a whole lot more than the trust. I liked the uh, the evil SG-1, the fact that they were a, an undercover black ops military, pseudo-military operation using the Stargate. I thought that that uh, evil SG-1 version uh, sort of thing was what's much more interesting than this clandestine organization of, of people who are trying to make money. I wish they really would have saved the title. That's a good title. I wish they would have saved it for a, a better episode. 
Yeah, it didn't really seem like an endgame for a whole lot. The trust is not is not destroyed, is it? Mm-mm. I mean, again, it's it's almost getting comical when we have to keep coming up with a new name for this Earth-based clandestine organization that wants to exploit the Stargate for their own interests. First it was mm-hmm. the Rogue NID, then it was the Committee. Now it's the Trust. We've got to come up with something else next time. There's a nice callback in the fact that the Trust realized that when Osiris came to visit last year, she they left, left the ship her behind. ship. And they found that cloaked ship in orbit, and that's how they were able to pull this off. I like that a lot. And then this sets up an episode we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But uh, let's do Gemini. You know, people generally don't like Gemini as much as I do. Uh, I, I hear people talk about it, and I hear them say not-so-nice things about it all the time. Really? I enjoy the Replicarter fifth dynamic. I enjoy the Replicarter-Samantha Carter dynamic. I enjoy what she is doing and how she manipulates her flesh-and-blood counterpart mm-hmm. into... I mean, she goes to this base saying, please kill me, please kill me, and throughout the course of the episode is learning the cipher to make herself invincible while we're thinking the entire time that Fifth is the one that's figured out how to make himself invincible. And we've just handed her the cipher on a silver platter so that she is now uh, protected against the replicator disruptor technology Mm. and is planning on making her last stand in the Milky Way galaxy against the Goa Uld. This episode is a lot of setup. She is coming. This episode is a lot of setup, and I like it a lot. I think one of the best cliffhangers that, that SG-1 ever did was the re- the reveal of Replicarter at the end of New Order Part 2. Yeah, and we didn't discuss that. That Fifth has created a Replicator version of Samantha Carter, who's all naked and gooey, just like he likes them. But um, she comes back in Gemini, and just like Sam and Teal'c, who are the main, main uh, characters on, on the Alpha site who are involved in this story, we don't know if she's good or bad. We don't know if she's like Fifth used to be, you know, really sympathetic to us, uh, really inheriting a lot from Sam. She wasn't just made to look like Sam. She was made from Sam. I remember you telling me about Gemini originally. You said, get this, that replicator that that, uh, Fifth made in Sam's image. I said, yeah. He said, she hates Fifth as much as Sam does. (laughs) 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 And I remember just laughing. I said, that's perfect. I love That's that. Fantastic. I love that. I mean, it makes Fifth's character so much more. I don't know, tragic. Maybe. I feel sorry for Fifth. You gotta feel sorry for him because he falls in love with Sam in unnatural selection in season six. Gets betrayed because stabs him back. because Jack orders her to stab him in the back. He comes back psycho evil, but still sort of of uh, vulnerable. And, and makes his, himself a new girlfriend, and, you know, Fifth, she kills him in this one, and Fifth basically gets stabbed in the back again by his own creation. Fifth showed Samantha Carter compassion. She said, if you really, truly love me, you'll let me go. Yeah. And Fifth let her go. He made a copy of Sam, and she <laughs> couldn't stand him either. Repla Carter, in my opinion, is one of the greater villains of SG-1. And uh, I just... I really enjoyed yeah, that, yeah. that little arc in season eight. Yeah, it but fifth really, and uh, the way that, that Fifth shows his utter astonishment at being betrayed by Replicarder and the way that he dies. I mean, this, this goes back to our conversation a couple months ago. Are Replicators alive? And 
I find it really hard to look at a character like Fifth and his ultimate end and say he's just programmed technology and replicators are pure evil and we should destroy them as a race. Prometheus Unbound introduces Vala Malderon. She was a one-off guest character played by Claudia Black, who we, we know obviously they're going to bring her back. But right now she's a one-off. What did you think of her character as a one-off? I didn't watch Farscape. I, I still have only seen three or four full episodes of Farscape. I thought the character was very entertaining. I loved all of the beats of this episode. The hiccups, Lindsay Novak's hiccups were annoying at first. Mm. Um, it's kind of something I was surprised to really see put into SG-1. Uh, I still use her damn-it-to-hell expression to this day, <laughs> as some a couple of my friends will attest. Um, but the playfulness between Vala and Daniel, I enjoyed a lot. Sometimes it frankly is a little hard to believe, but the beats are funny. I enjoy Prometheus Unbound. I really do. Uh, the Don S. Davis returning and he may need mouth to mouth. I mean, that stuff is all gold. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's not gold, but it's 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 pretty dang good. Yeah, I you love know, seeing Hammond in, in command of the ship and then and then. Uh... Having his own his own little heroic mission there to recover what was it the control crystals engine crystals right but yeah she's a con artist and I agree with you this there's the beats in this kind of silly kind of almost a little too silly but I mean it's just so fun and and, and funny stuff that I think the episode works overall uh, it's not my favorite episode of the season but I I, I like the guest character and I like the fact that she more than anyone, as, as we'll see when she becomes a regular, she knows how to push Daniel's buttons and push him mm-hmm. into an area where we have never seen mm-hmm. his character before. Yeah. Season 8 is very dark, by and large, and Prometheus Unbound is largely the Star Trek four of Season 8. You know, it, it is, it is, a, it is a, a welcome levity mm. from what has been and what is about to come. Yeah, I think that's right. It's good to be king. And then Mayborn comes back. It's always Mayborn. good to see that guy. Rachel 500 says, My favorite episode of the season is It's Good to be King. It's the last time our original SG-1 is out in the field together, saving a planet against a gall-old invasion like in the days of old. The inclusion of Mayborn is great, the ancient time-traveling puddle jumper fabulous, and a nice tie-in to Sister Show Atlantis. And the whole team dynamic just a perfect callback to the early days of the show. Rachel also said, I, I think it was Rachel, that uh, Mayborn's last episode in, in season six, Paradise Lost, was not really an entirely satisfying send-off for Mayborn's character. Yeah. And I like It's Good to Be King a lot more as, as a send-off for this guy who started out as just an a-hole in, in Enigma in season one and then sort of became this, this lovable sidekick to Jack O'Neill. Exactly. You get this, and you get this episode, and you see SG-1's expressions when they discover that he's a king on this planet, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, what a shyster, he's at it again. And then he explains himself to the people, and they're like, well, what about the, the aqueduct system that you built, and what about our laws, and what about this and that? And he's like, well, yes, that was me. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that was me. These are not acts of a pretender. These are acts of a leader. And he genuinely does deserve that position. Now, he may not deserve all the wives that he has, but uh, you know, I, I feel good for the character at that point. He did some good things. What I think of just as much as Mayborn is time-traveling puddle jumper, yeah. which is a mouthful. But it's, a, it's an interesting piece of technology that's obviously going to be set up for the season finale. And it's also something that you got to wonder 
where is it now? Is it in Area 51 being studied, and why don't they use it more? As soon as SG-1 can sort of time travel, it will. I think it's just way too dangerous of a toy to play with. Full alert. This is the episode that was set up by Endgame, because we have a trust agent take Osiris's ship out into the galaxy, and she apparently gets caught and goulded, and so now the, the gould come back to Earth, they know what she knows, and the Gould are able to infiltrate the trust. Yes, and they've infiltrated the Russian government as well. I think this this ends a little too quickly. The, the resolution in this episode, we're at DEFCON 1. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the president of Russia, you've got to fix this problem. Uh, I, I may take care of the problem. And, you know, and all of a sudden, at the, like, there's 20 seconds in the episode left, and the missile silos are closing. It's standing down. We're okay. And I'm scratching my head thinking... WTF. So the whole so, climax of the episode just depends on the the leader of Russia deciding, meh, okay, I guess I won't. I'll take that I'll take that leader down. And I'll close the missile silos and I'll and I'll trust that President Henry Hayes is not himself a ghoul. Hmm. Uh, but I've been doing that a lot. But uh, you know, <laughs> great guest acting by Ronnie Cox. Unfortunately his last appearance to this day. Yeah, as, uh, as he becomes a former ghoul. Vice President Kinsey. Jack playing against Mayborn is something, and Jack playing against Kinsey is something totally different. And I love that dynamic, and I love Ronnie Cox as this character. It's uh, they they leave him hanging out there. They there's always the possibility that he could return because he's been goulded and he's apparently not dead. He seems to have gotten off the ship at the end. Yep. But uh, I actually have a a problem with this episode, uh, sort of from a, a macro level. I don't like my bad guys getting mixed up like this. Making taking a, a character who was really and truly bad was was antagonistic toward our heroes for years, and turning him into a ghoul. It it was just kind of obvious. I discussed this with Ronnie uh, when I talked with him a few years ago, and he loved it. He loved the idea. Yeah. But I'm with you. You know, you don't take a badass like Senator Kinsey. And submerge him under the un, to the to the will of a Gould. You know there are enough Gould running around. You, you want a prickly personality like Kinsey. Yeah, uh, I mean it, it can be an interesting development if it's maybe if he's degoulded at the end of the episode or if he comes back, and we have to deal with him as a different person, and then he gets degoulded and we get to have a conversation with Kinsey about how this has affected him. But uh, instead, you just took one bad guy and turned him into another bad guy. We have we have Earth based antagonists and we have the Gould and you basically took our lead Earth-based antagonist and made him a Gould so it's Well not only that but you took a prickly interesting antagonist and turned him into a generic run-of-the-mill Gould. Yeah. Exactly. So then we get to Citizen Joe which I think correct me if I'm wrong is going to be the last clip show of the series. That's correct. And this is another one that like uh, season 7's inauguration does not really focus on SG-1 at all. It focuses on the guest character. What'd you think of Citizen Joe? Did not like it. As far as clip shows, it's uh, it's decent. Again, I think that the Stargate writers are really good at doing clip shows. They're good at writing envelopes that make the clips interesting. And here there's, there's an effort to, to go back into Stargate mythology and, and pull up this technology that, that explains what's going on, why this random Indiana barber named Joe is seeing visions of SG-1's adventures over the years. But, um, you know, I like the mythology callback. 
Dan Castellaneta, the voice of Homer Simpson, I think does a, f- a fine job uh, as Joe uh, carrying this episode. Uh, there's some some nice beats in this that I like. I like when when he has this realization that Daniel is alive. I mean, these are not just just uh, characters in his head. These people become his friends in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But uh, with exceptions of little beats like that, uh, I didn't care for the episode at all. I don't think I've rewatched it since it aired. I adore Citizen Joe. Good. I love this episode. This episode is, as far as I'm concerned, a love letter to Stargate fans. Because this episode is about a Stargate fan. Yep. That's what it's about. Dan Castellaneta plays, plays Joe, and Joe is a fan. I watch him, and it's like I'm watching myself. Because uh, he's just... He gets excited about things when I get excited about them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's review. He's watched the show like we've watched it. His recollection of the show is exactly like ours is as a viewer because he's lived with Jack O'Neill. And I just adore this episode. I think it is a charming episode. It is charming, but it is so far outside the pale of, of what SG-1 is. It is very outside of it. Um, uh, it's, it's like they picked a fan... And went into his life for eight years as he watched SG-1 on TV. Uh, I don't particularly care for a lot of the guest actors, but Dan Castellaneta plays it. And he really he really picks it up. You, you see this guy having to put up with the, the struggles of being a Stargate fan and being obsessed with the show. And, and his friends and family leave him behind. I like the episode for what it is. As a one-off, Mobius. You know, this was the Brad Wright talks about it to this day. You know, this was their potential. Uh, this was uh, they they realized that they were potentially walking on a movie idea, and Mobius, in many ways, is continuum, but not as good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They steal a right. time traveling puddle jumper. They go and pay Ra a um, a a by the books visit, and uh, end up fracking with history. Pretty easy little op stealing a ZPM that they discovered that Ra had 5,000 years ago. Is it 5,000 years ago or 5,000 BC? I don't know, but whatever it is, I can never remember. But uh, so they go back to ancient Egypt. Nice thematic tie-ins with the original Stargate movie. But Mm. um, yeah, the op is by the books, and they get back, and the puddle jumper has been discovered by the Jaffa, so they can't get back. I always expected Mobius One to be them infiltrating Ra's base and then at the end of it having the entire timeline screwed up but really the timeline gets screwed up very early in this episode and they spend a lot of time trying to convince Jack you know come with us and he's like no no I'm going to stay on the Homer so the pace in Mobius 1 is really ripped up as far as I'm concerned but it recovers it in Mobius 2 in terms of the timing and and you know the alternate reality Kowalski being back I um I smile, I grin at uh, the beats between Daniel and Carter being very geeky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost a little bit too much at times, yep. but uh, it's pleasant. So yeah, very early in this episode, we get to the altered future. RSG-1 has to stay in the past and try not to alter history, but inevitably they end up altering it. So when we get back to the year 2004, whenever this was... Daniel is a little, little bit geekier than he was even, and he's uh, teaching English as a second language. Sam is is uh, pushing paper as an astrophysicist, not in the military. Very geeky. All of this is because Ra takes the Stargate with him. In other words, 
the Stargate did not reach the United States, which is my my continued problem with Continuum, because when it happens again in Continuum, Continuum should revert to the characters in Mobius. Mm. It should revert to that status quo because that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that would make sense. There's I I've always assumed that there's some butterfly effect with SG One living out the rest of their lives in the past, that they affect little little things, not just the Stargate not being there but little things that then ripple their way through time and through generations. The geeky Sam and Daniel are kind of fun to watch here, but it, it goes a little bit too far at yeah. times. They're a little bit too much of, of caricatures of themselves. If this was, say, in the middle of Season 8, these, these, this two-parter, I think it would have been an excellent two-parter. But the fact that it's a coda to Reckoning and Threads yeah, really genuinely feels like it is stapled on to the end of the show. It does. I would have loved Mobius as more of a standalone. If this had been a mid-season two-parter, oh, yeah. and then this, the, se- the season had ended with Reckoning and Threads, I think season eight would have been stronger just by doing the same episodes in a different order. Did I not just say that? <laughs> I awesome. said it in different that words. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. Mobius is not my favorite season finale for that reason. It's uh, the... You know, I love seeing Kowalski again and seeing the characters as they might have been, but uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of silly sometimes. Jay Akavone rocks. Peter Williams rocks. And they they both come back and they do a bang up job. You know, despite the fact that Apophis yeah. now looks like the Tin Man. Um, but uh, yeah, as in terms of of what it is, I also did not like the fact that that uh, it suggests that the timeline has been tweaked when the fish jumps out of the water and Jack says yep, close yep. enough close enough that's a Simpsons reference uh, as far as the continuity of Stargate goes I agree with you that that was kind of weird and, and we still get fans who complain about this and say basically the SG-1 that we knew and loved is gone their timeline has been overwritten and it was just a, a massive injustice well I mean Joe Malazzi can say you know oh it was just a gag but the fact of the matter is there was no fish in Jack's pond so you just never know. There, I'm complaining about Mobius, but there are parts of it that I really like. Um, Daniel, alternate Daniel, getting goulded and then killed. Yeah. I think it was really fun. There are some great beats in that episode, some great visual effects. The the puddle jumper soaring over Chulak and the gliders shooting by. I mean, it's, it's well done. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about Season 8 overall? How do you feel about it? Season 8, boy. I've uh, In my mind, I've sort of put Seasons 1 through 5 together. And then seasons 9 and 10 have to go together because they're thematically and cast-wise so different. So I, I kind of see season 8 as ending this, this chapter of 6, 7, and 8, which is the years in which Jack O'Neill got less and less and less in the show. I think that it starts out fantastic with New Order. I think mm-hmm. it ends fantastic with Reckoning and Threads. There are not a lot of, of episodes in the middle in between those two that I really like. Season 8, I'm going to give a 5.5 out of 10. All right. Uh, you know, season 8, I, I agree with a lot of what you have to say. A lot of those middle season episodes are a lot of middle-of-the-road episodes. This is one of the rare instances, in my opinion, where the second half of the season was really stronger than the first. I'm going to have to give this season a 7 out of 10. Thanks to everybody for writing in and calling in about this week's topic. This week's topic? About this week's topic. Sean Connery now. (laughs) 
We have one other piece of listener mail this week. Lyle from East Canada says, You went over what trailers were released for Stargate Universe. However, I don't believe you guys gave your opinions about them. Did you like them? We talked about this offline, and we actually might have talked about it on the podcast, and it got cut for time. I thoroughly enjoyed the... Uh, it might get cut again. I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the Comic-Con trailers. Uh, the introduction of the Destiny. Beautiful ship. Yeah. Uh, the characters are... They, they feel full, even though I have never seen them before. And it really... I think we are... I, I've been beating this over the head, but I think we are in for such a treat with this show. I think the, these new trailers are really cool. Um they they give us a lot of new stuff to look at. They give us the Destiny, which I think is a really cool looking ship. Uh, I'm interested to see where where our characters think this fits. How much older this ship is than than Atlantis and the other ancient technology that we've seen. That we already know Atlantis is several million years old. So I like the trailers a lot, but you know we got to see this show. We got to see this show. I'm excited about October second. Well, that's this week's show. What shall we talk about next week? Nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. All right. It's open line night next week, the last one of the summer. So that means we are talking about what you want to talk about. Ask us a question, give us a topic, or just call into the podcast hotline and tell us what you're thinking about. If it's Stargate-related, SGU, if it's uh, something else science fiction, preferably science fiction. I don't really want to talk about uh, So You Think You Can Dance. What is that? Is that a show? Yeah, that's a reality dance competition. Oh, see, I don't watch TV. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, mister. I don't watch TV. I don't know what's the, going on in the industry. Mm, well, there you go. I'm giving you a, a hand gesture right now. And hopefully we'll have some guests on because uh, David and I can only talk to each other for so long. Next week, August 19th, open line night, and then we'll come back and we're uh, at a breakneck pace trying to finish up our SG-1 part of Stargate history before Stargate Universe premieres in October. So, on the 26th, we'll be doing SG-1 Season 9. And then there's an interesting topic coming up for September 2nd. What do fans owe the show? That is poignant. Do you owe the show something? As a viewer, do you owe the show feedback? Do you owe the show... Viewership. Viewership. Do you owe the show DVD purchases? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you owe the show nothing? What do fans owe Stargate? As a discussion uh, from fans and about fandom, I think that that's going to be an interesting topic, especially as we're coming into the start of a third and somewhat controversial new series. Yeah, more than ever, I think each individual fan's voice counts on our show. It certainly counts. Every, every single voice counts. You know, I don't care with you if, whether you agree with me or not. If you don't agree with me, that's fantastic. I want you to get your voice on here. So, yeah, this is a very crucial time. This is a make-or-break time for Stargate, especially right now in this economic crisis when anything can have the rug pulled out from under it. You look at shows that have fallen by the wayside. Stargate continues to remain a steadily burning candle. If you don't want that candle lost, think about this question. What do fans owe the show? Yeah. That's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. In this episode, we talked about SG-1 Season 8 and played you a little taste of Pathogen, the new Stargate SG-1 audio drama from Big Finish Productions. And if you want to see links to anything and everything that we talked about today, head over to gateworld.net 
and look for the episode 55 show notes. We always appreciate your feedback. Call us on the hotline 616-712-1647. Thanks to all those who have called in. We appreciate the men. We'd also like to hear from the women a little bit more. Uh, and also post on the FODPAT. Post on the FODPAST feedback thread if you so desire. You need a free account in Gate World Forum to sign up for that. Especially this week we want to hear from you because it's open line night next week. So tell us what you would like us to ramble about. From Gate World, this is Darren. This is David. We'll see you back here next week for more Gate World Podcast. Yeah.